Nehemiah chapter 7, the first verse, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Beloved, this past week, I've been getting better acquainted with a new friend. He was someone that I had run into now and then in the past. But just recently, I've gotten to know him much better. He's the kind of friend, maybe you have one in your life, he's the kind of friend who challenges me just because of his character. Spending time with him makes me think of my own life and my own character in a very helpful way. My friend's name is Hananiah. And you can meet him too, here in Nehemiah chapter 7. He's one of those Bible characters of whom little is said, and yet at the same time, so much is said. And so I want to focus tonight on Nehemiah 7 verse 2, but also as that verse fits into the rest of this chapter of God's Word. So we read in the opening verse in chapter 7, the walls and now the gates as well have been completed. But building must be followed by further activity. Building is good and necessary, but there also needs to be then maintenance and using what you have built for its intended purpose. And this is that transition point in Nehemiah Chapter 7. We, we see that ongoing activity in verse 4. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. The walls and the gates are there, but there were still lots to be done, lots of life to be lived for the people of God. Now, you may be in your life, maybe in more of a, a building time, in many ways, uh, our youth, the time of our youth is a building time in lots of senses. Or others, you may feel like uh, so much in your life has been built and established, and now you're maintaining those things, you're putting them into practice, you're using what has been built in your life. It's probably true that both are occurring in different ways at the same time. 
There are always ways we need to be built, edified, built up, ways we need to be using the things that are built. In a congregation like ours as well, there can be different ways to see the seasons of life, building, using the building, maintenance of the building. But both are real and both are important. The focus here in Ezra and Nehemiah, as we've said many times before, was never ultimately on the bricks and mortar. And it shouldn't be for us either. Just on the walls or the gates as an end in and of themselves, but rather all of this contributing to the glory of God in the lives of the people of God. That's the real concern here. And it's a very personal note that we are given in Nehemiah 7, verse 2, about this man, Hananiah. There are not a few Hananiahs in the Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament very well, you know that name. But this is not, for instance, the false prophet Hananiah of Jeremiah 28. It's not the man that we probably know better as Shadrach, one of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach was his Babylonian name. His Hebrew name was Hananiah. But this is a different Hananiah. This Hananiah was already the commander or the official in charge of the the bira or the palace, the fortress, under Nehemiah. But now that the building was done, Nehemiah was delegating responsibility. In each of the first three verses of chapter 7, a different word for appoint or put in charge is used. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, now that's done, but here's the work we need to do. I need to appoint people to carry on and build upon the work that's been done. Hanani, uh, Nehemiah's brother, we know from chapter 1, already commended by his trip to Susa with the report of the people in the city as he came to Nehemiah, way back in Nehemiah chapter 1. But Hananiah, we are meeting here for the first time, and the reason that Nehemiah is appointing him is explained to us in verse 2. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. That commendation of Hananiah's character was obviously crucial at this point in the work that Nehemiah was doing. But it can serve also for us by way of reflection on our own lives tonight. As we mentioned this morning, this is the last Lord's Day of 2021, and now we're in our second service. This is the last sermon, Lord's Day sermon, that I'll preach in 2021. And again, 
In God's providence, it's a good time to be encouraged to examine ourselves, to look back at our lives. Who are you now at the end of 2021 compared to who you were at the beginning of 2021? Can you remember? Can you think of ways that you may be different now? If you keep a journal, that's a helpful thing because you could go back and read some of the things that you were thinking and saying at the beginning of this year. Are you the same? Are you different? Hopefully we're all different. As we're called to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be more like him at the end of a year than we were at the beginning of a year. We can talk a lot as we think back over 2021. We can think a lot and talk a lot about the events of the year. The joys on the one hand, the challenges on the other. But circumstances, mere circumstances, are never as important as your character in those circumstances. All kinds of things have happened to us and happened to you. But what's happened to your character? What's happened to your character through and in all those circumstances this year? That's the question. How has God used what has happened in my life to shape my life in the way that he would want it to be shaped? We can all change. Not all change is good. Sometimes that word change is just thrown out in in public discourse as, as an ultimate good change. Change isn't always good. You can change for the worse or for the better. What kind of change are we talking about? Have your circumstances this past year driven you further away from God or nearer to him? Have I grown in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Am I more mature? We all are one year older chronologically. But are you any older and more mature spiritually? Nehemiah 7.2 is by God's grace here in his word, a very helpful rear view mirror. Boys and girls, you have a rear view mirror in your car, right? On the side or up above. This verse is like a rear view mirror as we look back on 2021, as you look back on your life in the mirror of God's word. What am I looking like as I reflect? And not just God's word in general, but tonight in particular, this man, Hananiah. A God-given rear-view mirror for your life. uh, To see where you're at. To see where I'm at. And God gives us here, in the life of Hananiah, 
two reflections, two reflections of this man's life and character. Did you, did you pick them out there? And Nehemiah appointed Hananiah, who was the commander of the synod, because, two things, he was a man of integrity, and he feared God more than most men do. So that first characteristic of Hananiah, he's a man of integrity. Literally, he was faithful. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word for amen, a word that has as its root truth. Uh, but that word can be understood in, in several ways. It could mean that he was honest, that he spoke the truth. He was a man of truth. But also it can mean, and more likely here I think has the sense of faithful in terms of being trustworthy. He was a trustworthy man. He was reliable. He kept his word. He was a person you could count on. A person who followed through. A person who did his duty even when it was hard or painful. A person who did what was right even when he was unobserved and alone was faithful. He was a Psalm 15 verse 4 kind of man who keeps his oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind. Faithful. And so there's the first reflection as we think of our lives. Am I a faithful person? A faithful man or woman, boy or girl? Kids, are you faithful? Are you faithful in your schoolwork? At home? Ken Smith tells the story of in his little book, With Him, uh, the story of the leader of the navigators, that parachurch Bible study discipleship group that's done good for thousands upon thousands of people. The leader of the navigators, Leroy Eines, who was visiting some students at a well-known military school in the United States. He visited their dormitory, knocked on the door, and when they opened the door to their room, He looked in and saw beds unmade, garbage pail overflowing, dirty clothes on the floor. He said it was a total mess. Uh, The two students began offering all sorts of explanations, excuses really of what was going on. And at the end, they said to Leroy, we're just undisciplined. And he would have none of it. He said, you are among the elite of the military, the most disciplined of all men. He said, no, you are disciplined. You're just not faithful. You're disciplined. You're just not faithful. Because we all can be disciplined in some things, for some time, for some reason. But faithfulness is a constant, steady 
unwavering, reliable character of life. Are you faithful? Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his sermons on Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, that we considered a couple of weeks ago in that call to work as unto Christ, said the Christian should be all in, always industrious, always honest, always truthful, always reliable, always helpful, always trustworthy, a man whose word is his bond, always a person on whom you can rely. That was Hananiah. And I'm challenged when I look into the mirror of Hananiah's life. Hananiah isn't here saying, look at me, I'm faithful. Nehemiah was saying, let another man's lips praise you and not your own. This is okay. He was faithful. But it challenges me. Am I faithful? You know, one of the perhaps strange things that I've encountered and and thought about more as a minister in this particular calling in life, and every calling has its own peculiar things that you think about and that you do. You know, you're an electrician, you walk into a room, you notice things that I never notice. You know, if you say if you work with trees or plants, you're always looking at that. Other people are oblivious to it. Whatever it is, reclaimed wood, whatever it may be. Here's what I think as a, as a pastor, and more and more I think it. As I think of you people, it's a bit of a morbid thought in some ways. What am I going to say at your funeral? That may strike you as very bizarre, but I think about it. Funerals these days are probably too much eulogy and too little gospel. Uh, But we do reflect on someone's life. And let another man's lips praise you and not your own. And there's an encouragement to the saints in the lives of other saints. What am I going to say at your funeral? Or if you all outlive me, what is someone going to say at mine? Well, here's Hananiah. And if he would have died the next day, and Nehemiah would have gotten up, and spoken, he would have said, Hananiah, he was faithful. He was faithful. And everyone there would have said, yes, he was. It was so clear. Are you faithful? There are lots of people that are faithful in this world in lots of ways, but here is the second description of Hananiah's life that's more important yet. 
and he feared God more than most people do. I think that's a very unique phrase here in the Bible. It kind of, you don't, as soon as you, you read it, it stops you. And he feared God, not period. He feared God more than most people do. That gets your attention. That makes you think. The fear of God. Hananiah was a man who was faithful, but his faithfulness flowed out of this. He was a man who was very self-consciously living his life before the face of God. He was in awe of the majesty of God. And he also lived a life of nearness to God. God was very far above him, and he knew that very well. But God was also very close to him. Anyone who truly knows God, truly knows God, is a person who has been known by God. Galatians 4.9, but now that you know God, or rather that you are known by God, You see, this fear of God in the life of Hananiah was not the fear of a condemned criminal or a cringing enemy, but of a reverent child before a glorious, holy Father in heaven. It is a fear that knows the holiness of God, but also the grace of God to sinners in the great sacrifice for sin, symbolized in Hananiah's day by those animals at the temple, but looking beyond them to the same Messiah, the Lamb of God, to whom we look as well, Jesus Christ. And so this fear is gospel fear. Based on grace. And so humble but also at the same time so thankful and so desiring to be obedient and faithful in response to God's love to him. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. This fear of God is life-transforming. The fear of man will change you. It will change you too. But so will a fear of God. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh has been gracious. This is gospel fear. This is gospel fear. And Hananiah understood it experientially more than most men do. What would it have been like to spend a day with Hananiah? How would he have spoken? What would he have done as he interacted with you? As he passed by a little child? as he saw a piece of garbage in front of the gate of the wall of Jerusalem, what would he have done? 
a man who fears God more than most men do. This kind of fear of God always leads to a humble, thankful godliness of character. We considered this theme of godliness a number of weeks ago at the men's retreat in Ottawa, but it's applicable to all Christians. Man or woman, boy or girl, is your life marked by the fear of God that produces godliness and faithfulness in your life? One writer said, among those who fear God truly, there are those who fear him greatly. I would hope that all of us here tonight fear God truly, that we know Jesus Christ. With you there is forgiveness, therefore your fears. We hold God in awe and reverence, in humble, thankful, joyful obedience to him, that we fear God truly. But there are those who fear him greatly. And Hananiah was one of them. And in that mirror of Hananiah's life, I asked myself, could this ever be said of me? Could it be said of you? They fear God more than most people do. The late Professor John Murray wrote in his book, Principles of Conduct, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. Godliness is that harmony, that bringing together of the fear of God and love for God and desire for God all coming together in a human life. Al Martin has said that the essential ingredients of the fear of God are a correct appreciation, understanding, concept of God's character, a pervasive sense of God's presence, and a constant awareness of our obligation to God, to fear God. That results in godliness. Maurice Roberts said, Godliness is not easy to define in a word or two. It is the hunger in the heart of a renewed person for God. Neither morality, nor giftedness, nor eloquence, nor cleverness is the marrow of Christianity, but godliness is. The measure of a man is the measure of this appetite for union and communion with the living God. Small appetite proves small grace. Large appetite proves much grace. No appetite shows there is no grace at all. John Calvin's motto, one of his mottos was Coram Deo, to live before the face of God. A Christian practices godliness, said William Hendrickson, when he is fully conscious of God's presence in every circumstance. We must strive to have God in our thoughts. Psalm 10, 4 says, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. Why not? Because something else, some other thoughts are squeezing out those thoughts for God. We took some time at the men's retreat to think about this. What is really the opposite of godliness? 
that's produced by the fear of God? I think it's worldliness. Worldliness. God's grace and salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Titus 2.12 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Worldliness is having a secular point of view as the center of your universe. It's having things that perish, spoil, and fade as the guiding principles and motivating factors in your life. Ungodliness is driven by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Ungodliness is worldliness. Godliness, on the other hand, is a life with God as your moral north star. Hananiah was a godly man, a faithful man, because he feared God more than most people do. Well, again, beloved, what might be said of you or of me here at the end of 2021? When your name is remembered, when your life is reflected upon, a faithful woman who feared God more than most, what, what a commendation of God's grace in a human life that would be. Him, a man of integrity who fears God greatly. If that's true of our lives, faithful fear of God is intensely practical. We'll just touch on this briefly. God has a concern for people in a practical way. Nehemiah 7.5, so God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been in the first return. This is what I found written there, and so on. Here's Nehemiah. We don't have time to go into it tonight, but as William, as Matthew Poole says, this action on the part of Nehemiah was a wise action, but not ascribed to his own wisdom or cleverness alone, but to the gift and grace of God directing him to do it. God put it on my heart. And Hananiah is appointed, along with other leaders, We need to pray for faithful, fear-fearing God leaders in the church and then in our nation. The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, said Paul in 2 Timothy 2, entrust to faithful men who will also be qualified to teach others. It's like Exodus 18, 21, Jethro's advice to Moses. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
That was Hananiah. These are the kind of leaders we need. Because Hananiah feared God, his great concern was for the city of God, the people of God, and their well-being and their advancement. Flowing out of this faithfulness and fear of God, there's a watchfulness. Guards are set at the gates. It's a bit hard to translate or understand where the gates only open when the way was well lit, when the sun was high, when the coast was clear. Some think that perhaps the gates were closed during midday, and that's the way to translate it, the sleepy time of the day when when people are weary and tired, perfect time for an enemy attack. Either way, there are lessons to learn as we watch in our own lives. Is the way clear? Am I sleepy? Am I tired? Constant spiritual threat for us. The enemies around us need to be watchful, flowing out of faithful fearfulness of God. Appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some of them at their posts, some near their own houses. Again, that that note here in Nehemiah, won't you be watchful over your own house? There's a great motivation here for these people watching at the gate. It's your own house. Wouldn't you be watchful for your own house? Well, won't you be watchful over your own life? Your own life. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Colossians 4 2. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The rest of this chapter is, again, basically a repeat of Ezra chapter 2. There are some name and number differences, various attempts at reconciling those, different suggestions. I don't know if we really know how to account for that. But Nehemiah knew in his day uh, what was happening. Certainly. What do we see here then in this chapter? We see faithful fear of God leadership and work in terms of people, all of these names and families, in terms of possessions as well, the things that they had and gave, faithfulness in terms of relationships and resources. And so as we think of our life, am I faithful? Do I fear God? Am I faithful? Am I faithful in the practical outworking of these things? Am I faithful in relationships? Am I faithful? Are we faithful with those toward those whom the Lord has given us? In our families, but also in this congregation. Hananiah was appointed faithful. He feared God more than most. And here are all these people. And he has a watchfulness over them. Are we faithful with those whom the Lord has given us? And let me just speak in terms of the church. We pray for the growth of the church. We do, and that's a good thing. But as we do that... If we are faithful, we had better know, love, and serve those we already have. 
Am I faithful in my relationships to the church? Whether I'm appointed in leadership over the church or I'm in the church, like these that were appointed by their own houses. That's such a good and important question to ask. Are we being faithful with what the Lord and with whom the Lord has who has already given us? Because as good as it's to pray for growth in the church, God's is faithful in little, faithful in much. I think it's wrong, and I think it's hypocritical to just be looking to to people that and thinking about people that haven't come yet if we're not faithful with the people that are here already? Am I faithful, flowing out of my fear of God to my relationships in the church? We've taken covenant vows. We live in a covenanted relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I faithful, flowing out of my fear of God? And our possessions are... Are we just storing up treasures on earth instead of heavenly treasure? The end of the chapter here, chapter 7, is connected to the temple, which reminds us again of the ultimate end of worship and the glory of God. That's why these things are important. Hananiah was faithful and feared God more than most men do. I've been to two funerals in our family this past year. Made me think. What might be said at mine? And again, what could a preacher say at yours? May it be a Hananiah-like testimony. But if we have any good fruit in our lives... It's only because we're joined to the vine. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. When we think of Hananiah and his faithfulness and his fear of God, he would have been the first to say to us, I stumble every day in many ways, and I'm looking to the Messiah. That was at the heart of his fear of God. And it needs to be at the heart of our lives and our fear of God as well. Because we are not always faithful. We do not fear God as we should. Even Hananiah, who feared God more than most men do, didn't fear God perfectly. Jesus is the faithful one. Jesus builds the church. His name is faithful and true. He is the faithful. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. He builds the church. He's the faithful watchman over his own house. He is the gate for the sheep of his flock. He feared his heavenly Father perfectly as a man, as the Lord our righteousness. When you think of Hananiah, Faithful man who feared God more than most men do. 
It's an opportunity to confess and to repent and by God's grace to start again to be a faithful, fearing God, man and woman, or woman, boy or girl, remembering Hananiah, Yahweh, has been gracious. As we end one year and enter another, may we do it faithfully in the fear of God, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, our faithful Savior, who said, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one.